Hello, I'm Peter Van Dusen, and this is the Primetime Politics Podcast. On our program tonight, the World Health Organization declares the COVID-19 outbreak a pandemic, worried about alarming levels of inaction by some countries. On a day when the Prime Minister pumps more than a billion dollars into the government's plan to deal with the impact of the COVID-19 outbreak, we'll hear at length from the Prime Minister and what he's proposing to help workers, provinces and the medical community. And opposition parties will weigh in on whether the plan goes far enough. And just how prepared is Canada's health system to respond to a spike in cases? There's specific funding for Indigenous communities. The head of the Assembly of First Nations will be here to discuss the need for the funding and to talk about his expectations when he meets First Ministers on Thursday. And we'll begin tonight with the World Health Organization declaration today that the COVID-19 outbreak is now a pandemic. There are now more than 125,000 cases in 120 countries and nearly 4,600 deaths. In this country, the number of cases continues to rise to over 100 now. The WHO declarations aimed at jolting some countries into doing more to deal with the outbreak. And the head of the WHO says it's still not too late for countries to change the course of this outbreak. And we are convinced that although this is the first coronavirus, to be labeled as pandemic proportion, but at the same time, we believe that it will be the first also to be able to be contained or controlled. That's what we are saying. It can be because we have seen progress in countries that have already shown this. So we repeat again, we are not suggesting to shift from containment to mitigation. We are not. We underline that. We are still proposing containment strategy and other strategies, a comprehensive and blended strategy. But consider, considering the geographic spread and the number of cases that has increased in the past two weeks, we should double down and we should be more aggressive. Well, Canada's Minister of Health says the declaration of a pandemic by the WHO doesn't change this country's response. Patty Haidu says Canada has been acting with the expectation that the outbreak would be declared a pandemic. Haidu also shed light on how many Canadians could be hit by the virus. There are ranges of the potential infection for, uh, for any population, and it is somewhere in the 30 to 70% uh, category. It's important to remember, though, for the majority of people, this will feel like a cold or a flu. What we're really concerned about, and all countries are concerned about, are the vulnerable people. The vulnerable people that are older, the vulnerable people that have underlying health conditions or that have respiratory problems, those are the folks that are more severely affected by this illness. And so the work that we're doing as Canadians, it's not so much that it's you know uh, lethal to the average healthy Canadian, but rather that they can then become a vector of infection to a very vulnerable person. And that's the concern that we have. Dr. Michael Gardam is the Chief of Staff at the Humber River Hospital in Toronto and an infectious disease expert. He joins me now. Uh, Dr. Gardam, first of all, uh, I know how busy you are dealing with all of this and I appreciate you giving us a few minutes of your time today. Thanks. Thank you. Uh, the WHO has now declared this a pandemic. Was this expected? 
Absolutely, it was expected. And, and frankly, it's about time. I mean, we've seen this spread pretty much to most countries in the world and, and more concerns about local community transmission. So they needed to call this. They, they've waited quite a while. Help us understand what that means and, and what it changes, the declaration of a pandemic. You know, for those of us working in the field, it doesn't actually change anything. It's more, I think, for your average person to realize that this is not something that's happening outside of Canada. This is now something that Canada needs to expect as well. And it really helps us get us in, into that mindset of what the next phase might look like. The uh, in, in declaring the pandemic today, the, the WHO seemed to be uh, really trying to sort of jolt a lot of countries awake that uh, they suggest have not been taking this seriously. So, uh, I, I mean, I understand the declaration of the pandemic, but uh, how much of this is to just to send this message to some of those countries that, look, you haven't been taking this seriously enough, it's time to get with it? Oh, absolutely. That, that's, I mean, the WHO, I've worked with the WHO for many years, and I mean, they, they represent the whole world, not just countries like Canada, right? So... You know, we've been worried about this from day one. Many other countries have worried about it, but there's a large number of countries, typically countries that don't have the resources that we have, who are focused on a lot of other stuff. And this just isn't a priority until it's made, you know, something really important. So there definitely the WHO has a role in kind of nudging the world to say, you all have to pay attention to this. In terms of uh, the response we're seeing from uh, the federal government in this country, um, what more would you like to see? I mean, some countries are, are talking about uh, travel restrictions and so on. Um, how do you feel about how the federal government has approached all of this? Well, you know, it's always tricky in Canada, right? Because healthcare is a is a uh, provincial issue. So I think the federal government has been very uh, open, and they've been certainly talking a lot about what they're doing. Really, when it comes to where the rubber hits the road, it really is the provinces. And you know, we do need to have you know really clear direction on social distancing measures very soon, because this is the kind of thing that if you let it get too far ahead of you, which is what happened in Italy, you can get into real trouble. So we've declared a pandemic. We need to start taking this really seriously. When you talk about social distancing, uh, give us some, I mean, that might mean different things to different people. What does it mean? Yeah, yeah I mean, and there's a whole bunch of diff diff different social distancing measures. So things like you've heard in other countries, such as closing schools and daycares, universities, uh, telling people to cancel conferences, not go to large gatherings, maybe don't go to the movies, things like that, where it's really about preventing, it's really decreasing the number of people that you're coming in contact with every day. So maybe you normally come in contact with 200 people. They wanna to try to cut that down because if they cut that down, then the virus, is the spread is going to be slowed down. The Prime Minister unveiled new measures today to respond to COVID-19, including more money to support uh, the healthcare systems across the country. $500 million spread across uh, 13 provinces and territories here. Uh, how concerned are you about the state of our healthcare system and, and whether it is in fact ready at this point to deal with a big spike in cases if that's what we get? Yeah, you know, the thing that people keep asking me what's keeping me awake at night, the thing that keeps me awake at night is that our hospitals don't have a lot of surge capacity. So our system runs at pretty much 100% all the time. And if you get a big spike in people requiring health care, they need to go somewhere. And that's going to require us to, you know, potentially, and this isn't everybody's plans, is to potentially scale back things such as elective surgeries, et cetera, stuff that isn't really, really urgent so that we can free up more beds. And, you know, that's something we obviously don't like to do because then that's very disruptive to everybody. So 
But that's the kind of thing that we'll likely be facing in the coming weeks. All right, let's finish on this. The government seemed uh, uh, somewhat reluctant today to provide a range for the likely infection rate in this country, but the health minister, Patty Hyde, who finally did, suggesting it would be between 30 and 70 percent of the population. That's the range that they're working with. What do we need to know about those numbers and, and in fact, who might be most affected? I mean, that's obviously the majority of the population if you get up to 70 percent. To put it into perspective, your average flu season influenza might infect 15 to 20 percent of the population. So if we get up to 70 percent, we could have three times people getting sick without a vaccine and without treatment. And if a percentage of those people require hospitalization, that's when you start to realize what a big influx hospitals could face. So it's not like your average person is going to get sick enough to go to the hospital, but just because of the sheer number of people infected, we could have a lot of people requiring uh, health care services. All right. Uh, Dr. Michael Gardam, uh, appreciate your perspective tonight. Thanks so much. Thank you. Now to the federal government's financial response to combat the impact of the COVID-19 outbreak. The prime minister unveiled a billion-dollar fund for workers, provinces, health care supplies and research today. In a moment, we'll hear at length from the prime minister at a key news conference today in Ottawa. But first, the money and how it will be used. The federal government is committing more than $1.1 billion to combat coronavirus through the COVID-19 response fund. Half of that $500 million will go directly to provinces and territories through a health transfer to support mitigation efforts and critical health care system needs. This money is intended to support access to testing, equipment and to enhance surveillance and monitoring. $100 million in funding, in addition to $50 million already announced, will offer increased testing at the National Microbiology Laboratory and enhance surveillance and preparedness for First Nations and Indigenous communities. The federal response includes $275 million for research and development, including vaccine development and clinical trials. That's on top of the $27 million for research previously announced. The Public Health Agency of Canada will receive $50 million to ensure adequate supplies are available for provinces and territories, including surgical masks, face shields, and isolation gowns. An additional $50 million will go to the agency to support COVID-19-related communications and public education. Another $50 million will go to support efforts of the World Health Organization. On the work front, the government has waived the one-week mandatory waiting period for employment insurance sickness benefits for people who are quarantined or have to self-isolate due to COVID-19. The government is also exploring support for workers who are not eligible for EI sickness benefits. The government also pledged to strengthen investment in federal lending agencies, such as the Business Development Bank of Canada and Export Development Canada, to help businesses if credit conditions tighten because of an outbreak. Well, the Prime Minister took the step of calling a news conference today, flanked by key ministers and the country's top doctor, to unveil the billion-dollar response to the COVID-19 outbreak. And there could be more funding coming in the federal budget to be unveiled Monday, March 30th. Today's news conference was meant to reassure Canadians that the federal government is on top of this fast-moving health challenge. 
There were lots of questions about the financial measures announced today, but a lot more questions about how quickly the virus could spread, how many Canadians could be affected, and whether the health system is prepared for what could be coming next. We'll have reaction coming up in just a bit, but first, we think it's important that you get to see the answers to those very important questions, uh, answers from the Prime Minister today. So here is the Prime Minister facing reporters for about 25 minutes or so earlier today. Good morning. Uh, thanks for taking our questions. Uh, so first, last week, of course, we had the $27 million for uh, research, and now it seems that that number has grown by a large margin to 275 million. So, perhaps explain why uh, this new investment is needed and what it will be going towards. We recognize that uh, this challenge is evolving, and it's an evo in a global challenge. And Canadian science, and Canadian research are among the best in the world. That's why we're ensuring that uh, the investments we're making in our science and research are going to respond to this challenge. But uh, for more details, I'm happy to turn it over to uh, uh, to uh, Dr. Tam or uh, or Patty for Mr. Haidu. <laughs> On, 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 the, on where Patty's the research fine, is going. Thank you. <laughs> we do call each other by our first names occasionally. So, uh, listen, um, as you know, we announced yes, uh, last week uh, almost $30 million for research. Um, but I will say that we had a volume of calls, a volume of responses from researchers across the country that uh, were also excellent proposals. Uh, amplifying our ability to fund those proposals at this time allows us to much more quickly generate the research that we need to understand, as the Prime Minister has indicated, how we can better contain the illness, uh, how we can actually develop a vaccine that will uh, be effective, and what kinds of treatments are effective with this particular disease. It's obviously a Canadian response in terms of research, but it contributes to the global community of researchers that are working so quickly to try and figure out how we manage uh, this particular particular virus. Thank you. And as far as the uh, now, I guess, no waiting time for EI. So how will that program roll out? I mean, will there have to be a diagnosis of uh, COVID-19 or suspected case? Um, I, I guess I'm really asking how can you avoid people abusing this type of change to a very important government program? We have confidence in Canadians. We know that what is extremely important right now is every Canadian does their part to arrest the spread of this virus, to slow uh, the, the infection curve uh, that we're seeing elsewhere around the world. Uh, we know that by keeping uh, the, uh, a slower pace for the spread of the virus, uh, we will avoid overburdening our healthcare systems and uh, prevent more people from uh, getting the illness. So we need to make sure that everyone is given the tools they need, whether it's uh, figuring out how uh, to stay home from work and work from home, working out with your boss on uh, avoiding rush hour uh, congestion times uh, in public transit, uh, whether it's uh, making smart decisions around uh, shaking fewer hands, washing your hands more often with soap and water, coughing to your elbow. These are things that will actually help Canada uh, and the world fight the virus. La question va plutôt à Guillaume Saint-Pierre du Journal de Québec, ensuite David Cochran de CBC News. Bonjour, je voulais savoir dans quelle mesure est-ce que ça change vos plans dans l'élaboration de, de votre budget? Euh, est-ce qu'on euh, attend toujours un budget au mois de mars? Et euh, dans quelle mesure vous êtes prêt à enfoncer, à faire plus de déficit? Euh, on, on, vous annoncez un milliard, là. Donc, euh. Euh, 
Certainement, euh, ça a un impact sur nos réflexions par rapport au budget, euh, mais je peux souligner que les décisions qu'on a prises en tant que gouvernement au cours des cinq dernières années nous laissent euh, une bonne marge de manœuvre pour des situations euh, d'urgence comme celle-ci. On va pouvoir être là pour investir, pour aider euh, les entreprises, pour aider euh, l'économie canadienne, pour aider les travailleurs, les Canadiens qui font face à des situations difficiles à cause euh, de ce virus. Donc, euh, évidemment, nous suivons euh, attentivement tout ce qui est en train de se passer euh, au niveau économique, mais au niveau de l'économie globale aussi, et on va réagir en conséquence avec notre budget. Et vous, personnellement, et votre famille, est-ce que vous avez changé vos habitudes pour contrer la propagation du virus? Absolument. Je pense que tout le monde peut et doit changer ses habitudes face à ce virus, de se laver les mains beaucoup plus souvent avec du savon, de tousser dans le creux de, de notre coude, d'éviter de, de, de faire des poignées de main dans, dans la, la mesure du possible. Nous pouvons tous faire des choix dans nos vies de tous les jours par rapport à, à, à comment on travaille, à où on va, qui vont pouvoir pouvoir aider à freiner la propagation de, de ce virus. Et je pense que c'est important que euh, les gens sachent qu'ils peuvent effectivement garder leur famille et toute la communauté en, en santé en suivant les recommandations de Santé Canada. David, ensuite Joël Denis, belle avance de la presse. Hi, Prime Minister. We, we've seen some projections from uh, people doing modeling on the possible or probable rate of infection in the country, anywhere from 35 to 70 percent, depending on the range of public health mitigation measures. I'm sure the federal government has been running its own modeling. At this point, what is your sense of the most probable rate of infection in Canada? What should Canadians be prepared to deal with here? I will uh, turn it over to, to Dr. Tan and, and the health minister for, uh, for more uh, uh, specific answers on that. But I can tell you that there are a range of scenarios that we are facing, and uh, the largest factor is actually Canadians' own behavior. We can, by making smart choices as citizens, uh, to uh, follow the instructions of Health Canada, to wash your hands more often, to uh, cough into the crook of your elbow, to stay home and self-isolate if you're beginning to get symptoms uh, of, uh, of, uh, of a coronavirus. Uh, we can slow down the spread of infection in Canada, and that will prevent from overburdening our healthcare system and allow uh, this uh, disease to be managed more effectively in a way that will have a lesser impact on Canadians' health and on uh, the health of our economy as well. Uh, but I will uh, turn, to, uh, turn to the experts, uh, Dr. Tam, for a perspective on this. Yes, thank you for the question. It is important to prepare for a range of different scenarios. But of course, it's sensible to prepare for something worse than uh, prepare for something that's mild. Right now, uh, in Canada, throughout the public health system, people are trying to identify every case and their contacts in order to slow the spread of this virus into the country. That's a lot of work. But the work actually does matter. Uh, as the Prime Minister has said, you need to sort of prevent this rapid rise in cases um, that will uh, really impact our health system. And by these social distancing measures and people doing the right things, 
particularly staying home if you're sick, don't spread it to other people, um, really does make a difference. Protect those who might get the most severe illnesses and then the message that we want to um, send out there because that epidemic curve and the number of people who get seriously ill and, and, and go into your health system uh, depends on all of us to protect those who may get more severe illness. So around the country, you're going to see um, different jurisdictions trying to protect their long-term care facilities or nursing homes in terms of setting up procedures. But it also means in individual families, you may have elderly parents or grandparents, and you may have people with underlying medical conditions. But I also want to say that the majority of cases, if we looked around the world, are actually in working age adults. And so business continuity and work planning using these scenarios are very important. Um, but also to say that, of course, that's why the supports for people to do uh, what local public health asks them to do is just so important. So at least from my perspective, um, the advantage of being in the Canadian system is that people will be supported to do uh, what public health has asked them to do. But everyone actually can change the dynamic of that curve. So that's such an important message that uh, I don't want people to lose sight of. Uh, individual physicians can't do it. Public health units on their own can't do it. Everyone has to contribute. Based on that, do you have a probable percentage on the rate of infection that you're anticipating? And based on your forecasts, should Canadians anticipate large-scale restrictions on freedom of movement and travel within our borders the way we've seen in other countries? There are, of course, a range of scenarios that we are uh, accounting for so that we're ready uh, regardless of uh, the eventualities. Uh, but at this point, our strongest recommendation is uh, for Canadians to uh, be involved in keeping themselves and their families safe, and that will slow uh, the rate of propagation through, uh, through our country. Uh, that is the strong recommendation we're making now. We've also put forward measures to support uh, workers, to support businesses. Uh, we're supporting uh, provinces with uh, increased uh, health transfers to be able to allow them to prepare, even in provinces and territories where there are no cases yet, to prepare their uh, health systems to uh, receive cases. Uh, we know there is much that we can do now, and we're doing it. We also need to prepare for eventualities, and that's also what we are doing. Bonjour, Monsieur Trudeau. Est-ce que le gouvernement songe à fermer les frontières à des pays qui euh, ont beaucoup de cas comme la, la Chine, par exemple, ou encore l'Italie? pour éviter que le virus se propage davantage. Nos décisions sont toujours basées sur les recommandations des experts. On n'a pas choisi de fermer les frontières à la Chine dans les débuts. Et je pense qu'on a pu voir qu'on a pu restreindre la propagation du virus au Canada depuis plusieurs semaines parce qu'on avait les informations appropriées et des mesures en place aux aéroports pour que les gens puissent euh, prendre, prendre soin d'eux-mêmes et, et éviter la propagation. On va continuer de prendre les décisions nécessaires selon la situation. On ne ferme pas la porte à aucune éventualité, mais toutes nos décisions seront basées sur euh, les avis des experts et les recommandations scientifiques euh, qui, euh, qui sont les meilleures qu'on qu reçoit. Vous avez parlé de 
changer votre comportement et vous et votre famille. Est-ce que, dans la sphère politique, est-ce que vous comptez limiter les rassemblements politiques, par exemple, euh, pour euh, votre parti politique? Et est-ce que des sommets internationaux comme le G7 et le G20 pourraient être tenus peut-être par vidéoconférence plutôt que euh, de la cité en personne? C'est certainement des réflexions qui sont en train de, de se passer. Je sais que la Chambre de communes est en train de réfléchir à, à nos comportements et de, de voir s'il y a des, des étapes euh, qu'on devrait prendre si l'évolution euh, du virus euh, continue euh, de s'aggraver. Euh, nous allons euh, continuer de faire des choix basés sur les recommandations de Santé Canada. Et c'est ça qui est important, euh, de souligner que les organismes, les entreprises, euh, les conférences, euh, des individus, des familles suivent les meilleures recommandations des professionnels de la santé pour se garder en sécurité, pour garder la communauté et le pays en sécurité. Nous avons tous des choix que nous pouvons faire pour euh, ralentir la propagation de ce virus et euh, nous devons toujours être ouverts à prendre ces décisions-là en temps et lieu. Deeply intertwined. Uh, the number of travelers uh, across our border every day are in the many, many, many thousands. Uh, and therefore, uh, that is uh, a real uh, potential. Uh, vector of transmission, but uh, we need to know that uh, there are many, many things being done both in Canada and the United States to slow the spread uh, of this virus. We continue to engage extremely regularly uh, with our counterparts in the United States uh, to ensure that we are uh, handling uh, as best we can the spread of this virus. Uh, we will continue. Uh, to monitor, to coordinate, uh, to ensure that what we are doing uh, has as minimal impact both on Canada, Canadians' health, uh, but also on uh, the growth of our economy. Um, can you be more specific about what you have assessed as the impact currently, to date, over the last two months, on the Canadian economy from the virus outbreak, including on the tourism and travel sectors? Okay. Obviously, there are uh, slowdowns in the tourism sector. Uh, the recommendation not to take cruises has had an impact. Uh, there are many things. I spoke with uh, the heads of uh, some of our airlines yesterday to hear directly from them on some of the challenges. We've been reaching out to uh, businesses and uh, leaders across the country uh, to get a better impact of, get an, a better idea of the impacts and the potential impacts on our economy. Uh, the finance minister has, of course, course, been uh, deeply engaged in that in the preparation for the budget. So I'll turn it over to you, Bill, now to, uh, sure. to fill in on that question. Well, I think uh, it's, a, it's an important question that we've been very focused on. I guess I'd let you know that we're in, we're in daily contact with all of our banks. Our banking system is strong. Uh, they're not seeing as yet any challenges around credit. Uh, but as the Prime Minister mentioned, we are preparing a business credit availability, and that's a, an important measure that we used uh, previously 
it's uh, expandable, so we're, we're prepared for the eventuality. Uh, we're looking to make sure, first and foremost, that we think about health, which will have an impact on businesses as well. If we can mitigate the challenge over a period of time, that will be an important mitigation factor for businesses and for our broader economy. But we stand prepared with multiple measures in order to support businesses and to support people should the challenge uh, be greater than, than it is today, which of course we expect in certain sectors. Monsieur Trudeau, est-ce que vous allez suspendre l'arrivée de bateaux de croisière au Canada, considérant le risque élevé de contamination? C'est quoi les facteurs qui vont influencer votre décision? Les, les facteurs qui influencent nos décisions sont euh, la santé et la sécurité des Canadiens, toujours. Euh, nous sommes en train de regarder différentes mesures, y compris euh, les bateaux de croisière. La saison euh, va commencer bientôt et nous, avons, nous devons avoir une réflexion sur, euh, sur comment on va protéger les Canadiens qui pourraient prendre ces bateaux de croisière, qui pourraient travailler sur ces bateaux de croisière, mais aussi les communautés qui pourraient être affectées par euh, ces bateaux de croisière en visite. Euh, C'est une réflexion qui est extrêmement actuelle pour nous et on devra en avoir plus à dire dans les, dans les jours à venir. Euh, M. Trudeau, est-ce que vous avez subi vous-même un test de dépistage du COVID-19? Je pense que vous avez été dans un événement la semaine dernière où il y a des gens qui étaient infectés. Est-ce que vous avez subi le test? Y a-t-il un résultat? Euh, je n'ai pas eu de, de test. Euh, je, je suis en train de suivre les recommandations euh, de la docteure Tam par rapport à, euh, à comment euh, me garder en sécurité et à, à ma famille aussi. Mais je tournerai le micro à, à la docteure Tam pour partager ses recommandations pour quiconque aurait été à cette conférence, à une conférence euh, semblable où il y a une, une, une personne qui aurait été infectée. Uh, Dr. Tam, on uh, the PDAC conference. Thank you. Um, on travaille vraiment étroitement avec uh, les homologues provinciaux et les, les homologues uh, um, du municipal aussi parce que uh, cette conférence est une conférence interna internationale. Uh, le Conseil de la santé publique et de la surveillance uh, de soi-même, notre santé, de tous les participants de, de cette conférence. Uh, et si uh, un participant a un petit symptôme, um, c'est vraiment important de rester chez eux immédiatement et de contacter le médecin ou la um, uh, santé publique pour les prochaines étapes peut-être pour le dépistage aussi. Donc, euh, c'est vraiment important pour, pour les participants de vraiment euh, euh, prendre soin de, de euh, notre euh, leur santé et de bien surveiller leurs symptômes. Ça, c'est le, le plus important. Paul et ensuite Marie Vassel du Devoir. Good morning. Um, Japan this week came out with a $15 billion um, financing package to help companies deal with the coronavirus threat. Uh, Britain today uh, introduced a budget with uh, what's uh, a $30 billion pound, um, package, fiscal package to protect against coronavirus. Why are we not being so aggressive at the start, uh, given uh, some of the risks that are evident? And are we not at risk at underestimating the damage to the economy, not just from the coronavirus fallout, but also the sharp plunge in uh, crude oil prices this week? 
the message we have for Canadians and for Canadian businesses is that we will be there for them. Uh, what we've put forward today are significant measures that will both support workers and businesses as uh, they face challenges due to coronavirus's impact on the economy, uh, but also uh, measures that will keep Canadians safe. But as the Finance Minister has said, and as we will keep saying, uh, we are ready to do more as the situation warrants it. Uh, we know uh, that Canada is uh, in a good position so far, both fiscally and with a strong health, uh, health uh, uh, system that has uh, managed to slow the spread of virus in Canada, uh, but we are always ready to do more. We will be there to support provinces, we'll be there to support businesses, we will be there to support Canadians through this difficult time. Bonjour. Je veux poursuivre un peu sur la question de, de Louis. Est-ce que je comprends que la Chambre des communes envisage quoi faire de ce côté-là, mais vous, en tant que chef du Parti libéral, est-ce que vous envisagez d'interdire ou de suggérer fortement à vos députés d'arrêter de voyager, compte tenu que deux de vos députés, dont un de vos ministres, sont maintenant en isolement volontaire à la maison, que vous, malgré vous, je présume, vous avez été en contact avec quelqu'un d'infecté. Est-ce que vous envisagez de peut-être dire aux gens d'arrêter de se déplacer puis rester à Ottawa pour l'instant? On est en train de suivre les recommandations euh, des experts en santé publique, et ça, ça s'applique euh, aux individus, aux députés, mais aussi à notre Parlement. Euh, Moi-même, euh, je suis en train de modifier mon horaire pour, euh, pour euh, ajuster euh, nos déplacements, pour euh, aller là où, où on peut aider, mais pas interférer avec euh, les, le travail qui est en train de faire sur sur le terrain, dans la recherche et d'autres. Euh, nous savons que euh, nous devons tous, en tant qu'individus, en tant qu'organisme, en tant qu'institution, euh, suivre les recommandations des experts euh, en santé pour assurer la santé euh, des Canadiens, de nos familles euh, et euh, les, minimiser l'impact économique. Pouvez-vous euh, élaborer sur vous-même, vous êtes en train de, de voir votre horaire, est-ce que vous avez changé des, des déplacements ou annulé des déplacements? Puis ma follow-up, peut-être c'est pour vous ou pour M. Morneau, l'argent qui va aux provinces pour leur système de santé, est-ce que c'est proportionnel selon la taille de la province? Est-ce que c'est proportionnel selon leurs besoins? Est-ce que vous le versez tout de suite ou est-ce que vous attendez de savoir euh, quels sont les besoins? Euh, D'abord, euh, pour mon horaire, on va vous garder au courant au, au fur et à mesure qu'on a des annonces à faire. Mais oui, on a fait des changements dans euh, mon horaire pour euh, la semaine qui vient. Euh, par rapport à, à l'aide aux provinces, on, a, on annonce 500 millions de dollars euh, dans la, le, le transfert pour la santé euh, aux provinces. Et ça, ça sera distribué euh, de, dans les proportions habituelles. Il nous reste... Cinq minutes environ. On va passer à David Aiken de Global News. Ensuite, ce sera Raymond Fillion de TVA. Uh, thank you, Melanie. Uh, good morning, Prime Minister. Um, the Premiers arrive uh, at the end of the week, and I know that on the agenda is discussion about fiscal stabilization. We heard Premier Kenny earlier in, ear in the week ask for lifting retroactively of the cap on fiscal stabilization. So as you sit down with him, what's the argument against that, or what are the factors from your perspective on lifting that cap? I'm looking forward to sitting down with the Premiers tomorrow to talk about uh, a wide range of issues that affect Canadians right across the country. Uh, the coronavirus will, of course, be a prime uh, element of discussion, uh, both in how we're ensuring we're going to keep Canadians safe, uh, how the federal government will be there 
to support the provinces uh, and their health systems as they tackle this challenge. But we will also talk about the impact on the economy, on workers right across the country. The oil and gas sector is being particularly hard hit right now with the drop in uh, global oil prices. So uh, we will be uh, discussing with Premiers Kenny, Mo and, and Ball uh, the impact on our oil-producing uh, provinces and how we can ensure that we are supporting families who are facing difficult times. Uh, and just uh, following up an issue you've touched on, recognizing Dr. Tam has said it's up to us as Canadians to keep ourselves safe, our families safe. Um, as we talk about this flatten the curve hashtag, have you talked about when is the time that there may have to be some mandatory restrictions on the freedoms Canadians take? Is that your job or is that the provincial health authorities will impose those mandatory restrictions? Well, it's not about time. It's about uh, the situation and the facts on the ground. We will closely monitor uh, what is needed to be done to keep Canadians safe. Uh, we, of course, will focus on uh, voluntary measures, on encouraging Canadians uh, to follow the advice of their health professionals, to uh, look at their own lives and how they can make uh, small changes that will keep them and their families safe alongside uh, keeping their communities safe. Uh, we recognize that Canadians have been through health challenges before. We remember well the SARS crisis and Canadians have demonstrated an ability uh, and, a, and a respect for uh, health professionals and an ability to, to follow uh, uh, their recommendations that have kept us safe in the past and will keep us safe now going into the future. So while we are uh, prepared for a wide range of scenarios, we will focus right now on what needs to be done now uh, and, and endeavor to make sure that that is enough, that we don't have to take uh, future steps. So that was the Prime Minister leading the federal government's financial response to the COVID-19 outbreak, which, as we know, has now been declared a pandemic by the World Health Organization. Is the more than $1 billion in federal funding going to the right places, and is it enough to deal with the growing public health challenge in this country over the COVID-19 outbreak? From the foyer of the House tonight, I'm joined by Nova Scotia Liberal MP Sean Fraser, the Parliamentary Secretary to the Minister of Finance. Matt Jenner is an Alberta Conservative MP and the health critic for the official opposition. And Lindsay Matheson is an Ontario New Democrat MP and her party's deputy whip. Good to see you all. Thanks for being here. Mr. General, let me start with you. We've just heard at length from the Prime Minister about the financial supports being unveiled today to deal with the impact of the COVID-19 pandemic now. Uh, what's your party's reaction to these measures? Yeah, Peter, thanks. Uh, thanks for having us on. Uh, it's certainly, you know, after six weeks of asking these questions, what's going to happen with the, with the aid package? or allowing us to, to be privy to some of the, the conversations that are happening. Finally, we see something uh, here today. Uh, there's certainly a, a lot of elements that uh, involve the, the provinces and territories, and uh, you know, they'll have to sort out through some of those themselves. Uh, but however, at the end of the day, you know, we want to make sure this isn't a, this isn't a partisan issue, this is a, a Canadian issue, and we want to make sure that uh, the health and safety of Canadians is, is the first, uh, first priority. And uh, you know, after that six weeks, it's, uh, it's certainly uh, welcome to see the, the Prime Minister finally being engaged on this file. All right, so you think this is a good step forward? You think that uh, this money being announced today is, uh, is uh, at least a positive move here by the federal government? 
I think, you know, the, the, the Prime Minister indicated that this was a, a potential first step, and that's what, that's what we're curious to see. You know, there's, there certainly doesn't appear to be a lot of room in a, in a cushion and for a budget and a ballooning deficits and, and the, the amount of debt that uh, this government has put on. Uh, however, you know, we, we want to make sure that, uh, that the health and safety of Canadians is, is, is the priority here and uh, certainly prepared on, on our opposition uh, side of the House to, to support as, as much as we can to make sure that, uh, okay. that Canadians are, are getting the answers that they need. Lindsay Matheson, uh, what does your party think about these measures from the government? today to deal with the COVID-19 pandemic? Um, again, uh, what Matt had said is, is absolutely true. We're six weeks into this issue, and it's only now that we're, we're seeing any sort of reaction from the, the government as needed. But 60% of workers are not going to be helped by this, by this $1 billion. Um, we, we know that the people who serve our food, they're, they're working in the service industry. 47% um, of, of Canadians are $200 away from insolvency. And all of these people, they can't afford to take uh, sick days. They don't apply or they don't um, get EI in the first place. They won't uh, be able to access that. And so they can't, they can't afford to miss those days of work. Right. So and I for mean, them, to be clear, the package announced by the government today uh, it's five million dollars towards allowing uh, people who have who are eligible for EI sickness benefits to to have the the one week eligibility period waived so they can collect mm -hmm. it immediately but as you point out a whole lot of people aren't don't have access to EI benefits these are people on the front lines absolutely they're they're people who are self-employed as well and these people they cannot uh, they cannot afford they, they don't they don't have the access to it but they also can't afford to take uh, the time off uh, for them one day two days three days off of work they want to they want to make sure that they don't have have uh, to, to pass along this illness, but they can't afford to do that. It means they can't afford rent. It means that they can't afford the food that they need to put on the table right. for their kids. Mr. Fraser, what about that? What, what's in this package for workers who may be off work because of the outbreak but are not eligible for EI sickness benefits? Uh, well, first, I think we have to uh, remember that our priority is to ensure that Canada's public health system can offer a world-class response to uh, limit the, the spread of this illness. Uh, of course, uh, of the $1 billion package announced today, $500 million is going to the provinces and territories uh, to help meet the needs to actually uh, take care of folks uh, in communities across Canada and to prevent the, the spread. Uh, we recognize, uh, to your question, that there's also an economic uh, element of this for workers and businesses as well. Uh, that's why we did announce new measures through the EI system for workers and changes to the work share program for employers as well. Uh, to my NDP colleague's point, uh, there will be income support for individuals who uh, don't qualify for EI and the precise mechanism is under consideration to make sure that those benefits are delivered most effectively. Uh, today is only one step uh, in, in our approach of uh, some that have already happened and I expect I mean, what do workers, What do workers who, who do need to access these benefits what, uh, or will need to access them, what do they need to know about uh, how they go about it? Are they going to have to get a doctor's note? Are they gonna have, what procedures? are going to have to follow to be able to claim uh, these benefits if they can't work. Uh, so the, the ordinary process of applying for uh, EEI will, uh, would uh, suffice, uh, so contact your Service Canada outlet and they'll walk you through the, uh, the particular process. Uh, the focus on our end is to make sure that uh, obtaining these benefits uh, is, can be done in an expedited way and that the process of, uh, of applying for those benefits is, is simple and straightforward. All right. Mr. Jenner, the $500 million to the provinces, um, uh, it's supposed to be for uh, you know, making sure that they're prepared to deal with a wider outbreak, that they have the the the, uh, the systems in place, the equipment they need. But we've heard lots of concern from provinces and from healthcare professionals that uh, there are problems with uh, enough equipment to deal with a with a wider outbreak here. Um, do you have concerns about whether or not uh, 
you know, uh, what's, what that money is going to be used for and whether $500 million goes far enough with 13 provinces and territories. I think you exactly right, uh, Peter. When look at what we're hearing from provinces and, and hospitals and health uh, officials, is that they're, they don't know how many how many beds uh, will be needed, uh, what the expectations are, are put on them for for masks, for for ventilators. We're hearing from from Northern uh, Ontario that they don't have enough enough ventilators. It, all of these uh, these these questions, I, I don't I don't think just sending. $500 million and saying this is blanket, this is what it's for, is, is necessarily what uh, is going give to give Canadians confidence that we now, we now have enough uh, beds and protective equipment. So I think there's certainly some, uh, some of those details that, uh, that need to be, be sorted out. Uh, I, I would, would like to hope, I, I don't know if $500 million is, uh, is enough for, for hospital bed prices or not, but I'd, I'd like to think that the, the government is, is, has some of these numbers somewhere. It's just that there seems to be an inordinate amount of secrecy about uh, whether or not uh, this is enough money. Uh, Lindsay Matheson, let me, let me hear you on that. Uh, do you have concerns about uh, w exactly how this money is going to be dispersed and uh, you know, who will make decisions about what it's for? Uh, you know, is there, uh, will it, and we'll get to Mr. Fraser, we'll ask him about the strings attached part two, whether there are. Uh, what, what questions do you have about this money flowing to the provinces? Um, absolutely. There are so many unanswered questions and the government has a great deal um, that they, they could be doing. They need to work through a lot of this. Uh, but again, we get to the, the number of people that are left out of this announcement and, and we don't have any answers for that 60% of people, those service workers, those, those healthcare workers, those, those people that are, are living uh, paycheck to paycheck. We don't have answers for them. And the government can't just simply say, oh wait, it'll come. Those answers need to be now, and they certainly have the time to do it, and they, and they really need to act on this right away. Mr. Fraser, what about those two sort of questions? The, is, uh, is the government confident that at this point $500 million is enough for 13 provinces and territories? And specifically, are they being told what to do with that money? Um, they're not being told what to do. There's a, there is a conversation uh, going on as between the, uh, the provinces, territories and federal government, of course. And in fact, the response between different levels of government and in fact our international uh, partners has been uh, coordinated uh, from the very beginning. Um, we recognize that the, uh, the challenges uh, that may be facing uh, British Columbia may not be the same as those in Nova Scotia, where one province may need additional beds or respirators, another may need to improve their monitoring capacity. Uh, we're going to uh, be flexible in the approach to ensure that the money can actually target the needs at the provincial or community level as needed. Uh, any other approach would be, uh, be foolhardy. We have to ensure that um, uh, the capacity of the public health care system where Canadians live is actually uh, meeting their needs. Uh, the trick here is going to be ensure that there's not such a quick spike in cases uh, that the capacity of the public health care system is overcome all at once. And to ensure that doesn't take place, we're going to have to uh, tailor the investment on a province by province or community level uh, to the needs uh, in that specific region. That's, that's I guess, part of, that takes me to my next question. One of the big questions here is uh, how bad could this get? And this is this whole conversation about trying to uh, trying to soften that that curve as, as, as cases begin to rise. Mr. Jenner, let me, let me ask you, at the, at the health committee today, there were questions for the health minister and the public uh, health officer, uh, the public health agency, about their expectations for this range of 30 to 70 percent. Um, what did you hear, and are you satisfied that we, we, we have a plan in place that's, that's ready if it's at the upper end of that range for the number of Canadians who, who uh, end up getting infected? 
I think that's, uh, that's really the point, Peter, is that we're, we're unsure of, of what that plan is. Uh, I certainly uh, can appreciate that the, uh, the minister doesn't want to incite any sort of uh, hysteria. Uh, however, there's certain, certainly a lot of unanswered questions uh, right now. There was a, a, a comment that uh, the minister actually didn't make and when, she, when it was interpreted to go in stockpile. Uh, the minister didn't actually say for, for Canadians to go in stockpile. She, she essentially just re referred to uh, the, the season the, being the flu season like you normally would. But that has incited uh, a lot of people to, to go and, and stock up on, on medication and, and food. As, so what we've been critical of is that there's just that lack of, of transparency and, and really, again, an inordinate amount of, of secrecy around what should we be doing if it gets that bad? Should we, should we be prepared that it is going to get that bad? Again, there just seems to be a, a lot of secrecy that uh, we're waiting for the, the minister to, to tell us. You know, Lindsay, Matheson, Lindsay Matheson, let me hear. Is that a, I guess, is it reasonable at this point to have some of that ambiguity and some of that lack of certainty over things like ranges? I mean, how do we know how bad it could get? It, it, it's really hard to, to say uh, in terms of what the government's provided today, that's for sure. Um, there isn't that strategy. There isn't that clarity going forward. They've had some time to, to prepare for this, and um, they haven't done the job that they need to do for the majority of Canadians that are looking to them for the leadership that they need. Uh, we can also look to uh, cases we haven't talked about Indigenous communities here yet, but they talked to, to them and said, oh, well, you know, you need to wash your hands more or you need to, to self-isolate or self-quarantine. But when you're living in inadequate housing um, where you can't, when, when um, right. you can't even wash your hands, you don't have clean uh, running water, these are issues that they haven't dealt with and they really need to. We're going to hear more about that in a few moments on this program because uh, Perry Bellegarde, the Grand Chief of the Assembly of First Nations, National Chief, is going to be talking to me about that. So, uh, Mr. Fraser, a quick final comment to you. Uh, the government seemed to suggest today this was a, uh, a, a first cut at providing this kind of funding to deal with this uh, this pandemic as we watch where it goes that suggests that uh, budget coming up March 30th. Uh, should we expect to see uh, more on that and perhaps hear more about it at the First Minister's meeting in the next couple of days? Uh, well, I wouldn't necessarily think that uh, the entire answer has to be included in a federal budget. Of course, we had uh, measures announced today in advance of the budget because we needed to take action. It included the $500 million for the province, $275 million in research. To my colleague's comment about Indigenous communities, $100 million was dedicated to a, a series of initiatives, including support for mm. Indigenous communities. But we've heard from the business community, for instance, today that they're, needed, they're, what they're, uh, they're happy with what was here for workers, but they need to hear more about uh, providing some uh, some breaks for business if this gets really bad. I'll note as well that part of today's announcement uh, included uh, the fact that we're going to have uh, be making credit available as we need to through Export Development Canada or right. the Business Development Bank. Uh, one final comment uh, maybe to conclude. Um, every step of the way, our approach is going to be informed by the best science, facts, and evidence available. We're following the advice to the letter of the Public Health Agency of Canada, which was designed specifically to assist in circumstances such as these. Okay. Uh, thank you all. Uh, good to talk to you tonight about this. And we'll as the story continues to unfold, but appreciate your uh, contributions to the conversation tonight. Thanks. Pleasure. Well, Canada's first ministers are set to meet on Thursday evening and Friday here in Ottawa, although the Yukon Premier Sandy Silver has decided he will not attend because of the COVID-19 outbreak. And the Premier of New Brunswick, Blaine Higgs, has suggested the meeting take place by teleconference. He'll decide Thursday morning whether to attend in person or not. Now, Alberta Premier Jason Kenney, he left Calgary for Ottawa this morning saying his message to the Prime Minister will be clear. Alberta needs more federal help and it needs it now. 
to deal with the fallout from COVID-19 and falling oil prices. And he warns that more job cuts are coming to the oil and gas sector in his province. Uh, we need this government to, to, to get refocused on the economy. Uh, enough about dealing with every fashionable issue out there and, and the virtue signaling and the UN Security Council and all the rest of it. We are facing an, a, uh, an economic crisis in Canada and we need the national government to act accordingly with total focus on that issue. Um, we need that more in Alberta, I believe, than probably any other part of the country. We've been through five tough years while other parts of the country have experienced growth. Uh, we were already in a $7 billion deficit position when other parts of the country have been running surpluses. Uh, we contribute, we've contributed $600 billion net to the rest of Canada uh, over the past five decades. Uh, we have had Canada's back and it's time for uh, Canada to have Alberta's back. Well, the federal funding announced today includes help for Indigenous communities across Canada, where health services are often a serious challenge, and even more so in the face of an outbreak of uh, a virus such as COVID-19. This issue will figure prominently, one would think, in the discussions between First Ministers on Thursday and Friday here in Ottawa. On Thursday, the First Ministers will meet with Indigenous leaders, and one of those leaders is the National Chief of the Assembly of First Nations, Perry Belgard. He is with me now. Good to see you, Mr. Belgard. Good to be here, Peter. Uh, always good to talk to, to your Grand Chief, and, and good to have that you gave us some time today to mm -hmm. talk about some of these important issues. Um, let's start with this announcement today. Are, are you reassured by the announcement from the Prime Minister today that uh, there is going to be help, everything's being done to work with provinces and First Nations communities to ensure that they have what they need as they deal with this outbreak of COVID-19 and what might be coming? Well, I think it's a, it's a good step, no question. Uh, we want to make sure that First Nations people aren't forgotten in all this planning and preparation because uh, we have over 50-plus fly-in communities so can you imagine those flying communities that don't have access to potable water, clean clean water, drinking water to even wash your hands? Yeah, washing hands is and one then of the, the number one things they say to you. There's to two provide. or three families in a two-bedroom house. Like, so that would be catastrophic if the if COVID-19 hit those isolated communities. So we have to be really vigilant uh, um, and, and make sure that all is being done to prepare and plan for less impacts on those flying communities right across Canada. What have you heard from, from some of those First Nations communities in terms of their level of preparation? I mean, the government's obviously responding to concerns. Uh, have, have they expressed concern and fear to you that, look, we don't, at, at the best of times, First Nations communities always often don't have the means. And so in this exactly. kind of situation, what are you hearing? Well, we're basically, the, the, there's a, a fear. Like, for example, we had a conference call with our AFN regional chiefs yesterday and with officials from uh, uh, First Nation Inuit Health Branch in, in, in ISC Canada. Mm -hmm. And to make sure that those flying communities were, were not forgotten, like uh, even flying in extra resources for hand sanitizer, uh, extra resources to make sure that there's uh, proper water in place, you know, in, in, in all those isolated communities. So we, we want to make sure that there's a constant communication on who do you call in terms of regional contacts because it's not only federal government but provincial territorial governments have a big role to play mm -hmm. and uh, working with First Nations leadership in that territory so that we're not forgotten even having a relationship with the, with the Red Cross you know and all those things have to happen so it's 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 very alarming uh, we just want to make sure that First Nations people aren't forgotten in all of this planning. You'll have a chance to, to reinforce that message when you meet with the First Ministers on, on Thursday, the Prime Minister, then the First Ministers. What, yeah. What's your objectives, at the, your objectives at those meetings? A number of things. It's a First Minister's meeting, right? And so the Prime Minister gets to call those. So it's his meeting, and he's called together the Premiers. Uh, from our perspective, we have a number of things. Like You've seen all of the demonstrations and blockades with Wet'suwet'en and everything else. And, and uh, to me, 
now is not the time to take your foot off that whole concept of reconciliation, but keep the foot on the gas. I think uh, the UN Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous People is a roadmap to reconciliation. And if you really want to create an environment that's ripe for investment and create economic certainty and economic stability, embrace the rights and title of Indigenous peoples and include them in decision-making sooner than later in all projects. So that's going to be number one, the UN Declaration. Uh, another big piece that people are, have to get their heads around is Bill C-92. Uh, the, the new federal piece of legislation which respects First Nations jurisdiction over child welfare. So some provinces have a good working relationship with chiefs, others don't. Uh, for example, uh, Premier Legault from Quebec is challenging the constitutionality and I'm thinking, wouldn't it be better just to work with the 48 chiefs you know, and start working out the, in a collaborative, cooperative way the relationship between the Quebec government and First Nations government? So, so UN Declaration, Bill C-92, MMIW and the action plan to implement by the end of June. So those are a number of the priorities we want to look at. As you know, days. some premiers just don't, they, they don't see eye to eye with you on, on the UN declaration and, and the, some of the changes that mm -hmm. that would involve and jurisdictionally for them and so on. What's your response to them? They say, look, the, the, you know, we're not happy with where this is going. I would say it's a, it's a chance for education, awareness and for dialogue. I've always said education awareness should lead to understanding, should lead to action and acceptance. Because again, the Truth and Reconciliation Commission said the UN Declaration is basically a roadmap to reconciliation in Canada. To really get your head around that. And I think what's happened, when, when you deny the existence of Aboriginal rights and title and treaty rights, then you get conflict. But when you recognize and embrace them and include them, that's where this, the understanding and stability comes in. And that's what I'm going to keep pushing for. And tell me more about that. I mean, uh, the, you know, it, it would seem that the possible reaction would be to a, to a several weeks of, of blockades and economic disruptions that mm -hmm. uh, some of the people around the table and in the room where you're going to be on Thursday will will say, look, this is not, if we get blockades, we're not really interested in talking. And we heard some of that during the blockade say, you know, we're not interested in talking about moving forward till the blockades come down. That was the posture taken by some. And I'm, well, I'm wondering how, how big of a threat to reconciliation you, you think that approach is. Well, I, I'd say, again, I don't think anybody should give up on reconciliation. You know, I think all people, including First Nations people, should get behind it and keep pushing for that, including all levels of government. Now is not the time to stop on, on closing the socioeconomic gap. Now is not the time to, to stop investments in education and housing and water and infrastructure and child welfare. It's really important to do that. And I think like, reconciliation is not easy. It's hard. And I've said this before that nobody is going anywhere. So let's roll up our sleeves and get to the table, get the dialogue and discussions going to find the proper policy and legislative frameworks necessary to respect Aboriginal rights and title. We need to start working together in a more cooperative way. And I think once you start doing that, you're not going to have those, I don't even call them blockades, I call it civil disobedience, you know. And, uh, uh, and that's important to, to remember that this whole, this whole situation came about because the land claims issue, and I, didn't like, I don't like using the word land claim, mm. it's land restoration. You know, and then moving beyond the Indian Act. All of those things are the root social determinants of why these things happened. And we've got to find a better way to deal with those and, things. And yet we're watching, we, we had a chief in town yesterday uh, uh, from the Wet'suwet'en Territory saying, uh, uh, a female chief, saying that the, the process has been hijacked by the male hereditary chiefs mm -hmm. who opposed the Coastal Link gas pipeline and the process has been corrupted because they're excluding women exactly. and those who support the Coastal Link gas pipeline. So a lot of people watching this say, isn't this something that has to be resolved within the, 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 the Wet'suwet'en people themselves before Peter, everybody else can figure out their Peter, role? Peter, that's exactly it. 
you've got to let the Wet'suwet'en people themselves, all the Wet'suwet'en people, the clan mothers, the traditional chiefs, hereditary chiefs, the Indian Act, duly elected chiefs, all their people have to get involved as the Wet'suwet'en people. Right. But if they, they say that's not happening, are you, are, if they say that's not happening in this process, do you, are you concerned then about the legitimacy of it? Then if those gotta, voices aren't all being heard? Then we've got to fix the process. But that's the work of the implementation of the Supreme Court decision called Delgamuk. Mm. We've had Delgamuk since 1997, so we've had it for 23 years. But nobody's really worked to really implement what it means on the ground, respecting Aboriginal rights and title, and really moving beyond the Indian Act in terms of governance structure. So this is a huge opportunity, but it's up to the Wet'suwet'en people themselves to so make sure they get it done and get it right. The involvement, the inclusion of their hereditary chiefs, and the involvement and the inclusion of their, their duly elected chiefs that support, the majority support, the ga uh, coastal gas mm -hmm. link, and come together under their own laws and traditions. All right, uh, Perry Belgard, always good to talk to you. Thanks for your time today. <laughs> Thanks for the opportunity. That's all for another edition of Primetime Politics on CPAC, the cable public affairs channel. I'm Peter Van Dusen. Thanks for watching. See you next time.